Hebrews chapter 2 in just a moment. The book of Hebrews was written to Christians who were under intense pressure, persecution, tempting them to neglect their commitment to Christ. Christians who most likely came out of Judaism, Jewish participants in the Old Covenant and the supplemental enterprise of Judaism in terms of what men came up with. But the choice to believe and obey Christ gave them new life and new hope, good purpose. At the time of this writing, however, they were under pressure and being tempted to neglect their commitment to Christ. Here's part of what was written. This is Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was delivered at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So here's something you've heard me say many times. When a passage in the Bible begins with the word, therefore, or maybe a phrase that says something like, for this reason. That's a signal to the reader to look back into the context. What was being developed right before that word, therefore, or for this reason? See, you don't start an essay with the word, therefore. The word therefore is a term that introduces a conclusion that is dependent on what is previous to that word. So in this case, we need to bring into our study what is written in chapter 1 of Hebrews. Because in chapter 2, a conclusion is drawn from what's written in chapter 1. Chapter 1 begins with this primary theme, God has spoken. And he has said, Jesus is my son. And then he says, he is far greater than even angels. Notice with me near the end of chapter 1, just part of this. Verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The next verse says that angels are ministering spirits. They do not occupy the high place Jesus occupies. The argument in Hebrews 1 is Jesus is far greater than even the angels. He came as the Messiah, 
the Old Testament system came to its intended fulfillment, Jesus lived perfectly. He died and was raised to the right hand of God, obviously far greater and higher than mere angels. Hebrews 1 describes him in his perfect divine completeness. It is even said of him, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Now, so what? What's that all about? What's the conclusion? Where does chapter 1 lead? Pay much closer attention to what you've heard. Don't drift away from what you've heard. The Old Testament came through the hands of angels through Moses and that law from God carried with it serious consequences if disobeyed. The argument here is if that law was serious that God gave through Moses by the hands of angels, if that law was serious, if every transgression or disobedience of that previous law received just retribution, how much more important it is now to respond to Christ, to commit to Him, and to continue that commitment steadfastly, no matter the pressure of persecution. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. How important is it to begin a commitment to Christ and not neglect or drift away from Christ and the message that He delivered? I'm going to draw from that text and the historical setting I have described. And I want to study that in these terms. I'm going to say to us, it is not the time. It is not the time to retreat. Christians who first received this letter were suffering, living in a hostile environment and culture, living in a time of trial and hardship because of their faith. Let me show you one strong indication over in Hebrews chapter 10 of what they were exposed to because of their faith. Hebrews 10, 32, down to the end of the chapter. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. 
since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, here's another conclusion. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Did you hear that? They had a hard struggle with suffering. These Christians were publicly exposed to reproach and they suffered the plundering of their property. In some cases, if unbelievers wanted to oppose them, they would steal from them, take their homes, drive them out of their dwelling places. It was extremely hard for those people to be Christians in that hostile atmosphere. But the writer says they had done that with perseverance. Now it's not time to retreat, however hard it may be. Do not throw away your confidence. And then it says, very strong language here, we are not of those who shrink back. It was not time to retreat. In America today, it's not as bad as it was for those Christians in the Roman Empire yet. But there's rapidly growing opposition to people who want to follow the Bible. There is media dialogue trending social media claiming that we are out of date in our belief in the Bible as the Word of God. There is on some public university campuses not just disagreement with Christians, but exclusion and heavy-handed tactics to demean people who still maintain belief in Christ. There's pressure on churches and preachers to give up our moral convictions and get on the religiously correct bandwagon. Everything you read in this book sends the strong message that is underscored by the Hebrew writer. It is not time to retreat and no such time will ever arrive. Hebrews 10.36 For you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God you may receive what is promised. It is not the time to retreat. It's not the time to blend in. I'm going to read some here from chapter 13 in Hebrews. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. 
Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? The Christians who received this epistle felt the pressure. And all good people feel the pressure to just blend into the world. To let the world's view, for example, of marriage gradually become your view because you're under pressure. Or to let the world's view of money gradually become your view and replace your commitment to God. To just blend in, fit in, compromise, make it easier. God, God doesn't call us to blend in. God calls us to stand up and be faithful. I'm turning to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Did you hear that phrase? In season and out of season. Someone might actually say to us these days, your Christianity is just not in season. This says, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. And that involves reproof, rebuke, exhortation with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. When the pressure is on, Paul says to Timothy, and by application all of us, it's not time to retreat, it's not time to blend in. And it's not time to quit. I'm back in Hebrews chapter 10 now. And in verses 19 through 31 that you may remember from a few hours ago. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, you remember the other part further into chapter 10 that I read a moment ago? Let me go over some of that again. Verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And verse 39, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You ever get to a point where you're just tired of being different? When you do, you begin to fall in love with what's around you. Are you weaker now than when you first started as a disciple? Do you sometimes think about quitting? This sends a message that cannot be dismissed. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Christians were under pressure, being persecuted and tempted. It was not the time to retreat, not the time to blend in, not the time to quit, and it was not the time to blame. In chapter 13 and verse 1, let brotherly love continue. Let me make an application of that. It is well known in workplaces, in marriages, in families, and sometimes in churches that when things are not as they should be and when someone is unhappy, among many other immature responses, one is to find someone to blame. Now, when you find someone to blame, you're always going to find someone you don't like. Find someone you don't like anyway and blame them. When times are hard and struggles confront us as a church, that easy blame game doesn't take us anywhere. And it stands in violation of all the passages we've read, and particularly this one, let brotherly love continue. When we blame others, instead of cultivating discipleship, as we move away from individual discipleship into blame, we give up power to change ourselves sometimes. We tend to find the fault, not the remedy. We step away from our own accountability as we blame others. It is easy to see how blaming others can become a failure, part of our failure. The challenge is to objectively admit and confess our own failures first and then get on with healthier discipleship to encourage and help others. It is not a time to blame. You know, neglect is not sudden. 
You don't just get up at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday morning and say, I'm going to neglect the gospel message beginning right now. Neglect is subtle. It happens gradually over time. It may have a number of various ingredients, but it's deadly. Christians, the devil wants on his side. He will be pleased if instead of getting up on Tuesday and deciding to be neglectful, you just eventually become neglectful. If you just gradually ease away from steadfastness, the devil's happy with that. You don't have to do it all of a sudden. Not many people suddenly and consciously in a moment of time renounce God and quit. Instead, the tendency is to slowly drift away. It may show up in many different ways. The more we are nourished by the word, the easier we can detect how the devil is approaching us and how gradual departure needs to come to a halt. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Let's be standing as we sing.